0: We had to go on with our lives the best w- that we could.
1: A mother's plea, bringing a cold case to lukewarm.
2: They put a lot of man hours into it back in 1980, but a lot of stuff you had to do in 1980 was by hand.
1: Now it was up to a group of retired and semi-retired detectives to bring it to a boil.
2: This shows how old-timey law enforcement techniques still work in today's times.
1: A prolonged puzzle who stole a sweet, unsuspecting only child from her friends and family, stabbing her to death, and leaving her in North Carolina's summer heat near a tobacco barn down a secluded gravel road. In a town called Pilot Mountain, only for a man to drive by three days later and find the partially clothed 14-year-old's lifeless body.
2: You take it home with
1: you. A deeper dig had started where Rhonda Blaylock was last seen, followed her then friends around the country and circled back to a man deemed unrecognizable even to those who shared his bloodline. A man raised in a cruel containment. He was out for number one. Heck with everybody else. Wife, kids. He didn't care. Ready to erupt before sheltering in place in plain view, only for his face and name to be released to the masses after a detainment decades overdue. I'm FOX 8's Michael Hennessy, and this is Murder in Pilot Mountain, a 40-Year Mystery. If the suspect sees this or is within the sound of our voice, make no mistake, we are coming for you.
0: We are coming for you. We are coming for you. We are coming for you.
1: The words of then Surrey County Sheriff Graham Atkinson on March 30th, 2015, the day of the announcement of the Rhonda Blaylock Task Force. Standing behind a podium with the American, North Carolina, and Forsyth County sheriff flags displayed left to right over his shoulders, five men and a woman in a semicircle behind him.
2: It was a cold case, but it was never put on a shelf.
1: Unseen at that time were the members of the task force who had already read through Rhonda's case file, who she was through her Girl Scout, Christian school, and volunteer years to high school and where she had been on August 26th, 1980, and the tobacco barn along a road called Groundhog Trail three days later. Crime scene photos, which would have shown 14-year-old Rhonda's body, punctured, bloodied, exposed to three days' worth of temperatures reaching the high 80s. It's disturbing, either way you look at it. A case file that remains sealed, but some documents are available to the public. Rhonda's death certificate, for example, it reads her death was ruled a homicide. She was pronounced dead on the night of August 29th, 1980 at 815, but when her actual death occurred is listed as unknown. It also offers some clarification to modern day questions asked by some of Rhonda's family, notably how long she suffered. The findings say her death was caused by cardiac lacerations due to knife wounds. She lived for three to five minutes after the stabbing started. Details Rhonda's mother, Lynn, would have been told after the medical examiner's report was signed on September 2nd, 1980, the same day Rhonda was buried at the Poplar Springs Church of Christ Cemetery.
0: And uh, I just want everybody to to think about not only me and my family, what we have lived with for almost 35 years, but what if it happened in in your family? How would you feel and you knew this, you had this information and you could uh, share it and it could be investigated.
1: Newspaper articles give us an idea of what else that case file would have contained. A Mount Airy News article from the day before Rhonda was buried says she was discovered at 410 in the afternoon on August 29, 1980. Her body had been identified, the article says, by dental records, after a man who was leaving his mother's house glanced to the right and saw her body about 50 feet from the road, in plain view from the road. Bill Hall, who was the Surrey County Sheriff back then, told reporters there was no sign of a struggle and her body was partially disrobed, but her clothing wasn't torn. Another article a week later said the suspect, Jimmy, or Butch, had a thin, neatly trimmed mustache with hairy, muscular arms, his skin darkly tanned. Rhonda's father, Charles, who we know by his middle name, Freddy, told the paper that Rhonda and her friend were not hitchhiking when they were picked up in the blue Chevy by the bowling alley, but he wouldn't expand on that statement saying he did not wish to hinder the investigation sheriff hall told the reporter that he'd seen two stab wounds on rhonda's body and believed the doctor who examined the body had found two or three more a quote from the sheriff reads it was a knife definitely but i don't know the size
2: late 1979 or 1980 there was a girl and a guy killed Execution style on Payne Edwards Road an
1: article also says Rhonda's death would mark the fourth recent unsolved murder in the area.
2: That was a uh, supposedly the Hells Angels out of Durham. Uh, It was a contract hit on this guy and girl for whatever reason. Uh, That was around that same time frame.
1: Retired Forsyth County Captain Jason Swaim and the rest of the Rhonda Blaylock task force needed to re-examine every single one of them.
2: Then you had a uh, uh, a group of guys at a body shop up there in Rural Hall that had basically tied a guy to a chair and beat him and, and tortured him. And of course, we had to go back and find all those people and do those interviews and talk to them and try, try to figure out, okay, are they connected to this in any kind of way? And they weren't.
1: They also hit dead ends, thanks to people trying to claim they were entangled in the tragedy.
2: I think we had one guy from the jail said that he tried to interject. He didn't even live here then. He wasn't from around here. And we had to run that down, and he was from South Carolina, and we had to run down everything. You can't take anything, you know, for granted, so we had to go back and look into his background. So that takes time. But the
1: posters, the publications, were paying off.
2: I mean, we started getting phone calls immediately that day and the next day, and some of them were very good phone calls and led to very lengthy interviews.
1: And as time turned from adversary to asset, lips loosened. Probably
2: after about six months in, and we started getting some stuff back, and and with interviews and things like that.
1: Tips that would take them as far away as Ohio, 500 some odd miles to track down and clearer pursue. They did hundreds of interviews out of their office in Pilot Mountain, close to where Rhonda was found they continued to brainstorm.
2: You're at home at night, you're think, you're constantly thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it, thinking, oh, we need to do this tomorrow. We need to, we, you, you get ideas, you know, you're, and things pop into your head, hey, we need to try this.
1: At this point, Sheriff's offices from Surry County, Stokes County, Versyth County, North Carolina, were involved with help from the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, the SBI's cold case unit, the North Carolina DMV and DMV's License and Theft Bureau, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, the Myrtle Beach Police Department, the Ohio State Bureau of Investigation.
2: The evidence that they had for it to still be able to be used and analyzed was amazing. I mean, technology has come so far. Even, I, I think, when they first started doing DNA uh it wasn't as good as it is now.
1: But as they hurried to work through evidence they'd collected or what investigators decades earlier had preserved, they also had to wait.
2: You know, a lot of people say, well, you got DNA or you got some blood or you got that, can't you just stick it in the computer and it'll tell you who did it? It takes months for, to get to get those results back.
1: The North Carolina State Crime Lab was involved with a full service lab in Raleigh, North Carolina's capital. A Western Regional Crime Lab in Edneyville, which is a two hours drive west of Charlotte, south of Pisgah National Forest. And a Triad Regional Crime Lab in Greensboro, the closest to Pilot Mountain, about an hour and 15 minutes southeast. But despite the three locations, there's been a long publicized backlog at the state crime lab, which could be why they had to bring in NMS labs in Pennsylvania advertised as providing the most advanced clinical and forensic toxicology, endocrinology, and criminalistics lab services. Whoever it was that sent the results back to the task force provided them with some of the most damning documentation the detectives had desired. The key to determining who was behind Rhonda's death was the molecule of life.
2: When you got DNA on her body, then, you know, that's pretty strong evidence
3: all the what ifs, I guess, you know, like she could have died a grandmother. She could have, I mean, just what Rhonda could have become. I mean, how we could have interacted as as adults, you know, how our kids could have. So just, yeah, I guess just that one thing changed so many things.
1: The task force was getting closer, but in Rhonda's absence, her family grew distant.
3: Rhonda's mom and dad, Freddie and Lynn, they stopped attending um, Christmas and family celebrations, and and I can remember being around, you know, them, and and just kind of feeling guilty that they wouldn't experience the same things as my mom and I would experience, you know, all the joys, like. Uh, Lynn, Rhonda's mom, was with me the the day my twins were born because she's a nurse. So she was in the hospital room with me or in the operating room because they had to deliver them. And she was in there with me. And so that day that was, you know, supposed to be so full of joy was still even clouded then by not really feelings of guilt, but just sadness that she would never have grandchildren.
1: Sherry remembers the last time she talked to her aunt Lynn.
3: Took away their joy completely. In that one decision he made.
1: What was the last conversation you ever had with Lynn?
3: Gosh. Mm, probably about Rhonda. Um, I think it was around the time of Freddie's Freddie's funeral, and you know, had she heard anything? And it's probably about Rhonda.
1: That would have been in February 2012 when Freddie died at age 69 about three years before giving the interview that was played the day her daughter's task force was introduced.
0: I want them to be put in prison uh, for the rest of their lives because I've been in a prison, so to speak, for almost 35 years. And I want them to know how it feels to not have your freedom.
1: On August 2nd, 2018, Lynn became the final member of the Blaylock family, daughter, father, mother, to be pronounced dead. Her obituary reads she was 72 years old. She'd passed away at her home while surrounded by her loving family. She'd retired from Forsyth Medical Center in 2004, loved gardening, shopping, but most of all, she loved her family and friends. She was preceded in death by her husband, Charles Freddie Blaylock, and her daughter, Rhonda Michelle Blaylock. Her funeral service was at 3 o'clock on Monday, August 6th, 2018. A committal service was held at 10 in the morning on Saturday, August 11th at Poplar Springs Church of Christ Cemetery. That morning started in the low 70s and temperatures rose to 86. A brief shower or two amounting to a tenth of an inch of rain.
3: There was always that sadness that, you know, they never got to see it through.
1: The plain headstone that was originally placed over Rhonda's casket, which simply displayed her name, date of birth, and the day she was murdered, had been replaced. The new one is a dark granite. It's pristine, shiny, with flowers and leaves ingrained along the top of its face. In large, white letters, it reads Blaylock. Below, in similar letters, Charles Frederick, July 31st, 1942, to February 18th, 2012. Rebecca Lynn, April 1st, 1946, to August 2nd, 2018. In between their names, three bells in a lighter gray, showing they were wed in April 1964. And below Lynn's name, a solid white line. At the bottom, the stone reads, Daughter, Rhonda Michelle. November 9th, 1965 to August 26th, 1980.
2: There was discussions back and forth between her mother and the DA's office and the sheriff's office on how they wanted to, to proceed. So that's, that's why it probably took a, a little while. Although
1: Freddie and Lynn's family members were disheartened, the parents didn't live to see an arrest. There were some rumblings that investigators knew and had told Lynn who they thought killed Rhonda.
2: Her mother became terminally ill and she didn't want a lot of press in her front yard and things like that. And she she didn't want a, a, a media circus in her front yard. She and they, they respected her wishes. From beyond
0: she she got it. that was a given. She said this is the day. One year from when she passed. She said it
1: was time. On Friday, August 2nd, 2019, a year to the day after Lynn died with some of her remaining family by her side.
2: He was interviewed in in the case uh, early
1: on. A press release from Surrey County Sheriff Captain Scott Hudson, sent at 3.38 in the afternoon, titled Robert James Adkins. Everybody brought something to the table to make this investigation work. It reads, the Surry County Sheriff's Office, with the assistance of the NC State Bureau of Investigation, made an arrest in the 1980 murder of Rhonda Michelle Blaylock. Deputies arrested Robert James Adkins, white male, age 62, of 1547 Fisher Valley Road, Dobson, North Carolina, without incident, and have charged him with first-degree murder and first-degree forcible rape. A picture was attached, showing a man with long, gray hair tied behind his head with a long, gray, sloppy beard. His face looked worn, leathery, even. His mouth open, his eyes staring in the direction of the floor to the left of the camera. Standing nearly six feet tall, he wore denim overalls and a shirt reading, Colorado. News of the arrest reverberated through Pilot Mountain, the Piedmont, the world.
3: They had actually caught him. After all these years, I mean, that's kind of unbelievable.
1: His home was in the same town as the Surrey County Sheriff's Office, only a 15-minute drive away. He'd sheltered
2: in place for 40 years. He, he kind of went off and, and, and moved up in the the, the stick, so to speak, uh, in the low gap area. That's a pretty remote area. and and kind of lived, lived a, you know, pretty uneventful life, you know, quiet life.
1: North Carolina Department of Public Safety records show he'd been convicted of DUI in 1983 with another DUI and failure to stop for an accident in 1988, but then he went quiet, something Swaim says can be a telltale sign in itself.
2: There's There's a lot of instances where people kill somebody, whether it's a passion thing, a Uh, heat of the moment thing and then they they realize they've made a mistake, they've really screwed up royally and like the next day they they, they have a lifestyle change. They either, uh, you know, start going to church all the time, you know, get really religious and and they they kind of flip, whereas before if they were very vocal and and mean and, and, and loud and Drinking a lot, then they might stop doing all that, and just it's a hundred eighty degree turn.
1: The Monday after the arrest on August fifth, Adkins walked into a Surrey County courtroom. Still with a beard and his hair pulled behind his head, he was in an orange short sleeved jumpsuit, reading Surrey County inmate on the back. He walked slowly with little expression on his face. His arms, skinny, beginning to wrinkle as he was directed to face the judge. No handcuffs on his wrists, he crossed his arms, listened and nodded as the judge denied him any bond.
2: The man responsible for these crimes is behind bars.
1: The next day, a press conference at the Surrey County Sheriff's Office.
2: Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Steve Hyatt, Surrey County Sheriff. Uh, First of all, I want to uh, welcome and recognize the family of uh, Rhonda. Blah, blah.
1: With Swaim, Hudson, and Lloyd Terry among the investigators behind him, Sheriff Hyatt directed his thoughts to Rhonda's family, including Lynn's sister, Vicki Thomas.
0: I was leaving work, and my daughter called me, and um, I just started crying.
1: And her son, Kevin. The average person takes about 20,000 breaths a day. Times that by 39 years, it's almost 300 million breaths that she never got to breathe. He's already had his lifetime. Mr. Atkins was at home. Uh, we have spoken to him on numerous occasions prior to the arrest. Um, he, he was surprised that we had showed up. The task force detailed Atkins' reaction when he had his Lloyd Terry moment. When they see
2: me, they know why I'm there. And I've actually told them before that I'm the person that they never wanted to see before,
1: and that the investigators back in the '80s had Adkins in their sights, but didn't have the technology we do today. Something Swaim says the task force picked back up
2: early on. He was talked to fairly soon after it was formed. He was talked to more on one more on more than one occasion.
1: How did he act? Uh,
2: calm. Didn't uh, seem to be uh, uh, concerned at all. First time we talked to him.
1: That change as it went on.
2: The last time that I talked to him, yeah, it, it was uh, it was pretty lengthy conversation.
1: Now, friend Tammy Worrell.
0: I would have to ask him why. Why
1: would you, why would you do that to her? She was a sweet, loving, caring person. And she did not deserve it. Aunt Vicki. Like
0: I said earlier, why did you do it? There was no reason.
3: And you are you are now and you should have been a long time
1: ago. Cousin Sherry.
3: And Bad people don't really do good things.
1: Now the rest of Rhonda's family had a face and a name, a person, to whom they can direct their ultimate
3: question. What made him decide to do what he did to change so, so much, so many people's futures by one decision? And then why couldn't he just let her go? couldn't he just let her
1: go? The same one being asked by those who share DNA with Atkins.
0: It just really scared me, really. I just, really, I didn't know how to deal with it. Because I was always close to James when we were growing up. I always felt sorry for him. I always took up for him. When they got older, they had to grow up fighting their dad to keep him, I guess. If he hadn't, he'd probably killed him.
1: Rhonda Blaylock's life ended in violence. By his cousin's accounts, Robert James Atkins was born and bred in it. A handsome boy in a family with several siblings, the toll of a troubled upbringing brought him from spry to shabby. We talk about who Atkins was and what he was doing around the time Rhonda was killed. Next time on Episode 4 of Murder in Pilot Mountain, A 40-Year Mystery. If you like the podcast, please rate it, comment on it, subscribe to it, tell a friend. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 800,000 children are reported missing each year in the United States. And there's a national hotline to help track them down at 1-800-843-5678. That's 1-800-THE-LOST. If you'd like to see pictures of Rhonda, of Lynn, of Atkins... You can find it all right on our website. That's myfox8.com. Murder in Pilot Mountain, a 40 year mystery, was written and reported on by me, Michael Hennessy, edited by Chris Weaver, and our executive producer is Kevin
3: Daniels.